Table Radio. The following is Josh's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, January 31st. Enjoy. You place the stars above. Bless you, God, that you welcome us into a family. That we can be included, that we can belong. We share benefits with one another. You speak to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be made visible and you would be made known. You would challenge us, you would comfort us, you would encourage us, and you would point us in the direction of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm Josh. I'm one of the leaders here at the table. I am an immigrant to Canada. I grew up in the Seattle area, which isn't too far away from Victoria, but it definitely is a bit different once you cross the border. One of the things I've noticed being here in the west coast of Canada is that there's two deeply conflicting things, commitments that happen here at the same time. The one is this sort of do, I want to do what I want to do, the sort of a ruthless individualism and autonomy. And at the same time, there's also this strong sense of belonging to one another. It's seen in, in this country's commitment to pluralism, which is a beautiful thing. It's also seen chiefly in social medicine. And I've been a major benefit of this. My family has had a bunch of health issues, so we're very happy with it. But these two things can kind of be opposite, can't they? Like we want to do everything I want to do and no one get in my way, but at the same time, I will give up a good portion of my money in taxes to support other people, and even some of them who are making bad decisions with their health and their bodies. This is Canada. And I think in the pandemic, we've especially noticed this, some of the, the best parts of this we've noticed through emergency relief, through a strong sense of each of us belonging to one another, even those who resist on many counts the lockdowns during this pandemic have done so based on health reasons of other people. They've looked at economic issues as well as mental health and drug abuse and the whole rest of things, collateral damage from lockdowns. And we're all trying to figure out here in Canada how to, how to see people flourish, be their best in the midst of deprivation and, and all kinds of issues. Now, some of the things in lockdown have been beneficial to step away from, even, this might sound weird to say from a pastor, even stepping away from church gatherings can have some benefit as we sort of get beyond the, the ordinary rote things that we just do on a Sunday or every other Sunday and start to think about what we're missing and what we've enjoyed about being with one another. So there are some good points of being in lockdown, but most of them, at least in my experience, are way off. This is like net negative. So there are some positives, but oh my goodness, I'm stuck in my head most of the time. Work has been less efficient and productive at home than at the office or, the, or out in coffee shops. Stuck in my head is basically the big thing and distracted. I can't even work out apart from a gym. That's how hard it is for me. There's just not the same sort of structure and rhythms and habits that come with gathering with other people. 
you also don't get the same sort of checks and balances, at least me. Some of the thoughts that I normally would say out loud to sort of test out, someone else in my community would go, no, that's crazy. And I go, is it? Yeah, that is definitely crazy. But now those sort of gestate and they build momentum in the mind and they lead to genuine crazy stuff. And it sort of felt like this whole last year has been like my time in the Yukon in the winter, just cabin fever and isolation. Now, we know it's bad if our friend Jacob McKee, who many of you know, but if you don't, he's very introverted. Like, sometimes I want to play video games with him at night, and he'll text me and go, I'm too tired to play video games. I just need to go read a book. And I'm like, this guy is introverted. And even he's said lately that he's getting itchy for social interaction. So if Jacob's getting itchy for it, you know something's off. We've realized through this whole pandemic that community is a gift. It is a great benefit to each of us. We've seen many of us have had our appetites for community aroused in its absence. But here, as we reflect on community, it's, think about it. It's got to be more than just we're Canadians or residents of Canada or we're Victorians or we're in Victoria or Sanditon or Peninsula. It's got to be more than that. It's more about brands. It's more about nations. It's more than special interests. In the Christian framework, followers of Jesus, the community that results from following Jesus is a special gift, is an extra intensity. I'm going to go through three different passages and kind of build on one another and make a case. If you've been around the table or heard me preach on anything related to this, this will sound familiar, but just go with me here. So we're going to start out in Mark chapter 10. Let's go uh, 10, verse 28. This is right after Jesus interacted with a man who, who runs up to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he has a conversation with Jesus, and ultimately the call is too hard, is too severe for this man, and he walks away, and Jesus is he's upset about it. And the disciples are watching this scene, and they're exceedingly astonished, it says, and they're thinking through their own commitments to Jesus. And Peter, in verse 28, he begins to say to Jesus, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, a hundred times, now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So the Bible takes a very strong stand. Jesus himself takes a strong stand on the benefits of community. This is part of an inheritance. This is part of a gift of following Jesus, is you multiply family relationships. You multiply ownership of land or possession of land here. This is a great boon. Now, some of us are a little suspicious because our experience of community is very poor, and we would just rather get as far away from people as possible. But here, the full life, as painted by the, by the Bible and as painted by Jesus, is seen in community that sort of solitary hermit on a mountain 
is not really an ideal within the Christian story. And look, the community revolves around not a special interest. Other, it revolves around a person. The special interest is Jesus himself. He says, those who have left all sorts of things for my sake and for the gospel, the good news that Jesus teaches and preaches and shares, that becomes the center of their companionship and their bond. It's a common bond. This may be surprised to some of you. Uh, I know I grew up in a kind of a Christian household that did not see Christian community as essential to following Jesus. It was sort of an extra thing, and in many cases, something to be avoided because, you know, institutions and bad leaders and hypocritical church members. This pushes right against that. And I've learned through my story, and if you want to know more, we can have that conversation, just get in contact with me. I'll show you how that plays out. But that is not tied to the vision of the gospel here, according to Jesus. The gospel and following Jesus brings with it a community. It's not seen as following Jesus alone, ever. It's tied to other people. So, what does the community do together? Why don't we flip over to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The Holy Spirit has just come and poured out upon the apostles in the upper room. You've got Peter's first sermon. There's a large gathering of Jewish people that are there to celebrate the wheat harvest. And it's a big festival. And here there's a major work of God. There's a sign that comes in the Holy Spirit coming and there's a speaking in foreign languages and tongues and there's a visible sign that something's going on. And then there's the sermon and then there's a response and many people come to believe and this new community is formed. And, and at the end of Acts 2, this is seen as sort of an ideal picture of what happens when people follow Jesus who have a breakthrough and are committed to following Jesus. Let me read it. Um, Verses 42, they, the community revolves around worship. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves. This is devotion language. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These are the, these are the ones who walked with Jesus and who learned from him and who Jesus sort of authorizes to share this message. He, he trained them up and he appointed them to do this. It's not strictly about a follower of Jesus' personal sort of mystical experiences. It's not strictly about our religious experience, but it's also we see in the very early community a focus on the apostles' teaching, which we have now preserved in the New Testament. But there's a devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the sacrificial community, one with another, and to the breaking of bread, which probably meant two different things. One, the ordinary meals together, as well as communion. And also they're devoted to the prayers, which probably meant sort of the, the, the Jewish prayers as found in the Psalms and other sort of ritual set prayers, but also spontaneous prayer with one another. This was their devotion to the eating, to the praying, to the words of God as 
as given through the apostles and to fellowship, community with one another. And we see the results of this. Verse 43, there's awe that comes upon every soul. There's many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's, there's this sharing that's going on. And this is a work of the Spirit. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, they, as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together, see, they hadn't been cast out of the Jewish temple yet. They attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad, with generous hearts, praising God. This is the outflow. Having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see, the beginning of this Christian community, the beginnings of following Jesus, of giving one's life to Jesus, led to a social network. But it's an embodied one. It's not one about getting likes it's not principally about posting the best bits. It's about worship. That becomes the common bond. And as a result, there are likes. There are, there's public recognition of this. This is where we see the Christian community as a sign, as a witness of something that God is doing. It's an ideal. We know in the rest of Acts it's not working out this beautifully. There are, there are fits and there are starts and there are gaps and there are conflicts. There's real human community, and God works through this all. But here we have this image of what it could be and what it intends to be, what God wants from community, and it's beautiful. I do need to tell you, this is my experience mostly of Christian community, of a community of followers of Jesus, that there's a deep substance when we worship one, with one another and share a common confession of Jesus and a common pursuit of Jesus. So here, I was just thinking about this today. My very bed was given to me by somebody within the table. So were my dressers by someone else. The very car that I drove here today was given to me by other Christians. But I made a list. There's a huge list. Random envelopes full of cash have shown up in in my mailbox or given to me by people I can't even remember their names over the last decade at the very least. Just random envelopes of cash. I've, one time when I was in university in my final year, I set, to, set out with a friend to go across all of the US and I got on a Young Life, which is a Christian missionary group on a, some listserv and I said, hey, we're gonna go around anybody else. We wanna serve people, understand people of the country anyone want to give us lodging? And we went to 42 different states in four months. It was absolutely crazy. Based on what? Based on nothing other than our commitment to Jesus and their commitment to Jesus. We've had lodging. I've had thousands of meals and many meal trains given to me based on what? Nothing other than my commitment to Jesus and their commitment to Jesus. Like, I don't want to overstate this. If you become a Christian, you're not going to fall into a pile of money. This is all like timely stuff, all right? Uh, yeah, it's not health and wealth here. But it has always been timely, and he's always, God has always given according to my need, 
But it's not like money just magically appears and teleports. It's given through someone. And it's not just cash. I've had so much compassion in crisis given to me from people who are committed to Jesus. I have, people have wept with me, they've cared for me, they've held me up. Now, I'm not a rich man, but I am a rich man because of Jesus and those he has called to follow him. Now, here's the thing. The constant question is, why should I even go to church? This is, a, it drives me crazy. And it's hard to explain this. It's, it's hard to even like answer the question because its very premise is flawed. Throughout most of Christian history, up until the last couple hundred years, if you were a Christian, you were part of a community. It, it wasn't a question. You just were. There might have been outliers here or there, but it would just be assumed that you saying you're a Christian meant you belonged to some church, some community that was beyond yourself. But now, because it's all sort of privatized and all stuck in our heads, even the faith stuff, it makes it seem like we need to make a defense for why we're in community with one another, why we should gather together and worship. Now, part of it comes from a good place. We look at that section in Acts, and we're like, that looks great. They're full of awe, and they're sharing. It's generous. And then we go to church on a Sunday, and we're like, meh, kind of weak, a little bit boring. <laughs> it doesn't have the same texture or magic to it. And that's a barrier. But the default position of the scriptures of the New Testament is that if you are a Christian, you are part of the community. Now, the easiest thing to do is just read any of the letters in the New Testament. They all say, they're all addressed to you. They say you quite a bit. It's misleading because in English we think that means singular. But all of them are plural. So that's why I've said many times over the years, when you read the letters, when you see a you, it's, you've got to translate in your head, all y'all. Right? Be kind. You be kind. Now, all y'all be kind, not just a single person. That the faith gets worked out with other people. And this is not a bug. This is a feature. This is by design <laughs> that we work out all of our blind spots with each other. Very rarely does God just magically change you. It's in contact with other people. Here, let's go to one more spot. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a bit at the very beginning talking about spiritual gifts where basically somebody else has said, send every single person in Christ, who's connected to God, has some sort of superhero power, right? This is one of the sections here that reinforces that idea. But look at verse 12. He says, this is Paul writing to a church in Corinth, which is dysfunctional. You just read the whole rest of the book. This is a dysfunctional church. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So everyone's an individual, but everyone together is dependent on each other. There's one body in Christ. And then he goes into some deep theology here. It's just one verse. In verse 13, he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Baptism is like sharing the, the, the 
life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of being sort of publicly bonded towards Jesus in a ceremony and being given something new. He says, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or Canadians or Americans, slaves or free. And elsewhere, he says, male or female. All of these special interests, all of these extra things about us. Actually, some of these things seem pretty core to who we are in our own identity. He says, no, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and all were made to drink of one spirit. So everyone in Jesus is sharing from, in the one divine presence that is in Christ and in the spirit. This is the great unifier. That is the thing we have in common. And when we lose that, in churches, as you will see, we get lost into niches and cliques and special interests. And even some of our theological positions can develop into points of disunity. Now, you've got to fight. You've got to fight these out. Some of these are very crucial. There are boundaries in a community. But some of them are just unnecessary. And the center and the goal is union because in Christ there is one body, he says. Now, let's see what, verse, flip down to verse 21. This is the last bit here. It's made explicit where Paul is assuming community. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, he says, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Here's the thing. We, in, in churches, in Christian community, in all sorts of community, there's some things are celebrated more than others. But Paul here is saying everyone who is part of the body, which is everyone who is connected to Jesus, everyone who is following Jesus and one in spirit, is essential. And if somebody's not involved in some way, there is a loss. That every single person has amazing dignity in sharing in this body. And that you might feel like you have nothing to give. And this scripture says that is false. You have so much to give because you are immensely valuable and necessary. God has brought you into this body. So great. So much dignity given to every person. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Okay, so you notice those things. The aim here, the purpose of Christ forming a new community, of a new community gathering around Christ, is that there would be no division. This would say something to the world. These people are united. And it's not based on brands or special interests. It's based on Christ. And that there is care given one to another. That's the aim. Everyone gets cared for. Now, because of these aims, when 
When we lack these things, it really stands out. Think the Christian church and Christian communities are the best witnesses of Jesus when they're functioning well. They're best witnesses of the truth of the gospel. And they're the absolute worst witnesses of the truth of the gospel when they don't work. But the biggest reason not to be a Christian can be the church or a Christian community of some kind, whether it's in the news or expressed locally in a city or a block or a household. And look at the end. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is Christian community at work. It can hold both the suffering and the glory of human life. It can celebrate birth on the one hand and also grieve death. It can, it can welcome wealth and glory and it can acknowledge poverty and dishonor. It holds so many things. This is a community that functions well together. All of that, I hope you will agree that the scriptures build to this one conclusion that we all belong together in Christ, that every follower of Jesus belongs to other followers of Jesus. And I think this is especially important now because we've been stuck in our heads and some of us have made it all about ideas as we're wrestling through our own faith and our own confidence in Jesus and what this means and, and how this could actually be true or not. But much of the truth of the gospel is lived out in community. Where we've had people come on, you know, Zoom is not a great thing for community development, as many of us have noticed, you've probably noticed. But as somebody else said, it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's right. It is better than nothing. And our goal is that community, intentional community, substantial community as we follow Jesus would be better than something else. And here's, here's a call. And this is partly out of a little bit of worry. Um, I think we're all excited about seeing one another, most of us. Boy, you know what? When finally all these things are lifted, we can gather in big groups. I don't know if we're going to remember how to be with one another. I think we're going to get a big, big bunch of excitement right as soon as we come out of these lockdowns and all be, to one, be with one another and then realize, oops, I got used to being alone and doing my own thing all the time. <laughs> Is that, you guys are chuckling. Oh, maybe you're chuckling at home. But if there's anything I've learned from being in Victoria is if you have the money, if you can afford your own home, you can do whatever you want. And people want privacy. And they just want to do what they do. But you know what? This is the loneliest place I've ever lived in my entire life. And I've <laughs> visited a lot of places, lived a lot of places. Because if you get what you want all the time, or most of the time, you will also get what you don't want, which is loneliness and isolation. And we're kind of crafting our own days here, days on end and on end and on end. And once we get over that initial jolt, I'm worried that many of us will forget how to have relationships, how to have conflict, and we'll go back to just being by ourselves. 
So here's my call. If it's true that followers of Jesus have a special bond in the spirit and with one another, then let me encourage you to practice connecting in Christ. And I, just, I don't just mean having multiple Zoom calls. I mean really practice what it means to be in Christ, which means incorporating spiritual conversations sharing doubts and pain and hopes and joys and confidence, engaging with God and sharing that and its thorns and its glory with those around you. That doesn't have to take an hour and a half. It could take 20 minutes. But that's the stuff that builds. Practice speaking to one another in love. Practice kindness with people who irritate you. Practice even in the limits of our gathering and our meetings. It is embodied and maybe even as we're absent from our regular church gatherings. What are the barriers from really connecting deeply and sharing this life in Christ with one another? What are the barriers within our community? Like, what is the church doing? What is that limits that, that keeps you pulled away from community? But maybe more personally for each of us, what are we doing? that's keeping ourselves from other people. And we'll work some of this out at Neighborhood Table next week. And please know that community is a gift. It is a great benefit. And that you have something to give and something to receive in community with one another in Christ. And Lord, we bless you and thank you because you have not left us alone. And we thank you for one another, that we may see your love and your grace and your mercy in the hands and the feet and the speech of those around us. And guard us, Lord, from isolation. Pull us out where we lack the energy. When we're in despair, would you, would you bring someone to us and where we have the energy and the hope and the confidence, would you bring others to mind that we may act, may call out and pursue. We love you. We bless you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's why we praise you. Ever thank you for listening to Table Radio an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.